Uh, somebody once said that uh, Genesis chapter 15 is one of the, the richest chapters in all of the Bible. And uh, if I'm going to be honest with you, I was uh, intimidated when I decided uh, to create the outline for this series because I, know, I knew at some point I had to preach through Genesis 15 and I wanted to, in some ways, uh, do it justice. So as I came to it this week and was uh, trying to get my hands around everything, I, I couldn't quite do it. So uh, about midweek, I decided that instead of trying to tackle it all in one Sunday, I'm actually going to preach it in two weeks. So this week, I'm going to focus on, on verses 1 to 6 uh, from Genesis 15, and then next week we'll look at uh, verses 7 through the end of the chapter. But I want to read the whole passage, at least here this morning, so we can get a sense of what's happening uh, here in this wonderful chapter of God's Word. So listen to these words. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord, what will you give me? For I continue childless and the heir of my house as Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you've given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and he said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when birds of prey came down to the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. The Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years, but I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for yourself, you shall go to your fathers in peace." You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying to your offspring, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, and the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, speak to us in your word this morning. Help us to see the power of it to not only change our thinking and our mentality, Lord, uh, but to change everything about us, our heart, our mind, our will, and our, and, our, and our affections. So I pray, Father, that you would visit us through your word now. In Christ's name, amen. 
So this story of Abraham uh, begins with God's initiative, and that really is always how the journey of faith begins, with God beginning or starting things. And as we've seen, God came to Abraham making all sorts of promises. We read about it in Genesis chapter 12. He promises uh, to give Abraham uh, offspring, and that was incredibly unlikely at that point because Abraham and Sarah were old, 75 and 66 respectively. He also promised to give Abraham a land, and he promised that his hand of blessing would be on Abraham and his offspring for all time. And what we saw in Genesis chapter 12 is that when God came with these promises, Abraham responded with remarkable faith and obedience. In fact, when we, we look at the story, we, Abraham seems like a, a superhuman in terms of the level of faith that he demonstrated in, in, in light of God's promises. But in the very next section, you see Abraham comes back to earth a little bit in terms of his faith. We see that rather than having his faith rule his heart, instead fear comes in and he responds out of that fear, making a really big mess uh, of his life, a really big mess of his situation, and in the process, threatening the very promises of God and their realization in his life. So in many ways, we've already observed the mountaintop of Abraham's faith, and we've seen a deep valley with Abraham's faith, and I think that's why God gives us this story. To help us to see that this thing called faith, this journey of faith, is often a battle that has mountaintops and valleys, it has ups and downs, and really, today's passage is no different. It confirms the very same thing about faith, and it tells us what the ups and downs in faith really look like. Three things related to those ups and downs, and the first is, is common to really anybody that has wrestled with faith at any points in their life, and that is nagging doubt. We see in Abraham a nagging doubt. Listen to verse 1 and 2. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. You see, when this chapter opens up, years have passed since God made Abraham promises, and so far, those promises were unfulfilled. And because those promises were unfulfilled, Abraham was getting increasingly frustrated. Now, for years, my kids uh, have been, had been begging me to go to an amusement park. They didn't care which one, but they wanted to go to an amusement park. And uh, in a former job and in a former life, uh, I went to amusement parks a lot. So I am burnt out on amusement parks. In fact, I am beyond burnt out. I hate them. I loathe them. I can't stand. There's nothing I like about amusement parks. And my kids have to bear the punishment of that. So one day, my kids were asking me a lot to go to an amusement park, and finally I said, sure, one day, I will, one day, I will take you to an amusement park. 
And, and they didn't forget that I had said that. So, so for months, Dad, when are we going to go to the amusement park? When are we going to go to the amusement park? For years, when are we going to go to the amusement park? I said, we'll go. Dad, you promised. I said, we'll go at some point. And then finally, my wife came alongside of me and said, sweetie, we actually have to take them to an amusement park at some point. And of course we did. It was a wonderful day. They had a great time. But it was a great example that with every passing year, my kids became more frustrated with their dad. Why? Because the promise kept getting deferred. Now imagine how frustrated Abraham was feeling at this moment in his relationship with God. You see, the greatest burden, the greatest sadness of Abraham's life was that he and his wife Sarah could not have children, and there was no heir for them to leave their lives to. When God first came to Abraham, he was 75, and he came promising a child, but that promise kept getting delayed. Year after year, there was no child, and Abraham and Sarah were not getting any younger. You see, from a human perspective, what God promised initially was incredibly unlikely, if not impossible. But now, time and years were just increasing that unlikelihood and the impossibility of it all. You see, the evidence against the promise was all around Abraham and Sarah. So when God comes to Abraham, speaking sweet promises to Abraham, he says, fear not, I am your shield and your reward. Abraham at that moment wants none of it. He fires back at God. He says, oh Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. My heir is not my own child. See, what Abraham is expressing here is the battle of faith. But in faith, what Abraham is doing here is important. Because in faith, he is going to the right place with his frustration. Charles Spurgeon once said this. He said, the best praying man is the man who is most believingly familiar with the promises of God. After all, prayer is nothing but taking God's promises to him and saying to him, do as you have said. Prayer is the promise utilized. A prayer which is not based on a promise has no true foundation. You see here, it's as if Abraham is showing God the paperwork. Remember our deal, God. Remember what you promised. Why have you not come through on your promise. Imagine what it would have been like for Abraham in this moment. Think on your particular greatest sadness or your particular greatest burden. Do you ever get frustrated that God seems to remain silent in the midst of your burden? Do you wake up each day wondering when he will act? Do you become impatient with the waiting? And if you do, then do exactly what Abraham did, at least in this instance. Take your frustration, take your pain, take your sadness to God. Take your impatience to him because that is exactly what faith does. 
Faith isn't taking matters into your own hands to try to manipulate and control your situation to make it better. Faith is taking all these things to the Father. And in our passage, we see what happens when nagging doubt is presented before God. Because in this passage, we witness not only nagging doubt, but a gracious confirmation. Verse 5, and he brought him outside and he said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. When I, in my married life, we've, been, we've lived in two homes, and my older kids were the two kids that uh, have, been, have lived in both of those homes. Uh, the first house that we lived in was in, really in the first-tier suburbs, and it was really uh, densely populated. And uh, the house that we live in now is right around the corner. It also is densely populated. But in between living in those two homes, we had uh, the opportunity for about six months to, to move in with my parents in northern Baltimore County. This is uh, the place where I grew up when I was a kid. So one of the first nights where we were staying uh, in this in-between place for us, I couldn't wait to take my kids outside at night. So when we did this, so they, they moved in, we took them outside at night. I said, boys, look up at the sky. And really, for one of the first times in their life, they looked up at the sky and they saw the immensity of the stars that are in the sky, and they had all sorts of childlike amazement in that moment. Well, in our passage, this is exactly what God does for Abraham. He takes him outside and he asks him to gaze at the stars. Now, I'm pretty sure there wasn't a whole lot of light pollution in the ancient Near East. So you can imagine what this starry sky would have looked like to Abraham. And God says to him, your offspring will be as many as the stars in the sky. You see, God doesn't chide or get angry at Abraham for questioning him. He doesn't give Abraham a lesson on patience. Instead, he gives him a gracious and tangible reminder of the promises of God. He confirms his promises to Abraham. But I think even in that moment, Abraham isn't just reminded of the promises of God, but he's reminded of God's character as well. The God who created these stars that he is gazing at is the same God who can bring life out of barrenness. And this God is always faithful to keep his promises. He is a God who is slow to anger and quick to grace. So after this confirmation, Abraham's response to all this is simply put, but yet remarkable at the same time. We see a nagging doubt, we see a gracious confirmation, and then finally we see in Abraham a settled belief. Verse 6, and he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. You see, Abraham, in that moment, believed God. He took him at his word, and he became settled in his conviction that God would come through on his promises. One commentator, I thought, beautifully wrote this. He said, Abraham has now permitted God to be not just a hypothesis about the future, but the voice around which his life 
was organized. He now abandoned a reading of reality, which is measured by only what he can see and touch and manage. And so what we've seen here is that the Abraham story represents for us well this battle of faith, but also represents well the centrality of faith when it comes to the gospel, when it comes to our relationship with God. Because this verse, verse 6, perhaps more than all others, emphasizes the centrality and importance of faith. You see, the gospel message, the good news of Jesus Christ, teaches us that we are saved by faith alone. It tells us that our sin and rebellion are too great to think that we could somehow earn our way back to God. We could never stack up our good deeds enough to reach our way or to climb back into a right relationship with God. And to try and do so is futile and pointless at best because we cannot save ourselves. And so the gospel comes in at that moment and tells us instead that we need to place our faith in Jesus Christ. We need to stop trusting in ourselves and instead trust in his finished work to cling in faith to the promises of God offered to us. But what our passage tells us is that when we do that, when we place our faith in Christ, then righteousness, goodness, and perfection is credited to us. It's not our righteousness that earns God's favor. Instead, it is the righteousness that is credited, that is gifted to us. You see, each one of us stands before God with a debt that we simply cannot pay. And this is the debt that we have brought upon ourselves because of sin. And what the gospel tells us is remarkable. It tells us that when we place our faith in Christ, that debt is erased. That debt instead was placed on Jesus Christ at the cross, and it was paid on our behalf. But if that isn't enough, that's not all that faith does in and for us. Sure, faith does cancel the debt, but that's not all that it does. Because by faith, we are also credited the goodness and the perfection of Jesus Christ. And that, friends, is a remarkable blessing. Paul talks about this in Galatians 3 and Romans chapter 4. He uses actually this verse from Genesis to describe the great power of faith. And James does the exact same thing in his epistle. They all come back to this verse in Genesis chapter 15. Paul writes this. He says, In hope, Abraham believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in his faith. Catch Paul's language here, which I think is great. He did not weaken his faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old. Paul doesn't mince words here in this passage. Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. 
No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and for our justification. You see, friend, Paul says it here that these words were written for you and for me. They were written to remind us that if we are trying to make life work through human effort, if we are somehow trying to make things right before God on our own, if we are trying to earn our way back to God in some way, these words are written for us to tell us that that way is futile and foolish at best. We are blind to the true nature of our souls. But instead, these words call us to place our faith in Christ, to believe in him, to believe in his perfect sacrifice on our behalf. And so, friends, place your faith in him, just as Abraham did. Place your faith in him. Stop trusting in yourselves, because when you do, the very righteousness and goodness and perfection of Jesus Christ is credited to you. And that is great news. Let's pray.